Hey everyone, this is Shadows. And Chaos. We're from the Shadows of the Moon podcast. We're here to tell you about Anchor and how it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And I heard it's free. It is free. There's also a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So I don't have to upload and change platforms? Nope, not at all. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it'll be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Without me having to do it? Yep. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Are you kidding me? Not at all. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead on over, download the free Anchor app, or go to anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm to get started. And that's with a capital A. Hi. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Just waiting for D-Live to catch up. How is everybody? Nicole is celebrating her two-month sub-streak in D-Live. Morning, Andy. Freaky Nicole. That Shadows woman, whoever she is. I don't know who she is. Watch her. (laughs) Amanda just rescribed for another month. She is celebrating a one-month sub-streak. Are you a streaker now? <laughs> yeah, instead of a mooner, you're now a streaker. <laughs> Hello, Heather. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Heather. How are you? Where's Amanda? Yes, Freaky Geek, it is running around Skyclad. Hey, Nuck and Fox. You're the best around. Welcome, welcome. Absolutely glad you came. Hey, Nubs. There's Nubs. Happy belated birthday, my brother. Happy belated birthday. Sorry, I didn't wish you a happy birthday yesterday. She couldn't get out of bed. I could, Yeah, it was one of those days, man. I couldn't get out of bed. We had some other stuff going on. And, uh, yeah, it was a crazy day. Hey, Hello, Rain. Rain. Okay, hey, Amanda. Amanda. Hey, Lynn. Hey, Lynn. Tammy. Good. How are you? Hello, Giggle Pickles. Thank you for the ice cream. That's a way to make the entrance. <laughs> right? I'm doing good, Lens. How are you doing? Hey, Hi. Whisper. Hey, Ryan. How are you? <laughs> good morning, everybody. Good evening, good afternoon. <laughs> hey, Mitch and kids. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Giggles finally made this uh, speech board here. 
Oh, yeah, I, I did see that. Sorry, it's been crazy the past couple days. Um, I did see that, and I meant to get back to her, and I totally forgot. So I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> Thank you, Wes, for the ice cream. Thank you for the lemons and the ice cream. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. <laughs> How is everybody? Hope you all are doing well. Hope you have a great Easter weekend. Thank you, Nicole, for the ice cream. Ice creams? Ice creams. <laughs> Thank you so much, hon. Thank you, Lynn, for the ice creams. Heather for the lemons. Thank you very much. <coughs> oh, looks like Nuts found a new lover. Yeah. What's up with Mulan? Woo-wee! <laughs> Thank you for the, oh my goodness, you guys. Thank you, Giggle Pickles, for the ice creams. Holy crap. Hey, Maria. Hey, Maria, welcome. How are you guys? What are you, you guys are going nuts over there. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> 100 messages and we've only been in three minutes. That's right. <laughs> oh, Mulan knows about him. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> And then Heather and, and Nicole have the same uh, mind set going. They're both trying to do what the F. <laughs> well, now we're going to have to wait. <laughs> Thank you, Rain, for the or the lemons. Lens for the lemons. Nicole, Heather, everybody else. Oh, what the fart? Yeah, what the fart? Well, prayers to you, hon. She's having another oh, surgery April 27th. Knocking foots. Uh oh. I'm just saying goodbye. So, everybody, send well wishes to her. Yeah, Mulan knows. She knows we're a bunch, we're all a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Chocolate mooncake. No, I didn't hear what the parts come up, but that came up. Oh, I heard what the part. Oh, I didn't hear him. All I keep hearing is ching, ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> it did it right after that. Hopefully, I didn't miss anybody. Well, I haven't seen anybody you come in. Oh, she knows about you and Andy and Ryan and redheaded stepchild. Jeez. That's why she nubs did. gets around there. <laughs> oh, what the? Fart? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Gotta give the boy points. <laughs> Gotta give him points, man. Hey, Skooks. Hey, Skooks. Gotcha. Oh, what the fart? Well, at least you're getting rid of it now. That's Absolutely. a good thing. Oh, we got Lurker. Heather's being a lurker. <laughs> Always watching. <laughs> <laughs> So you want to tell them how your Easter Sunday ended? I don't know if I should make that known just yet. Well, I don't know why not. Because people might be watching. True. So, but good things. Good things. 
very good things. Yes, and I will not be here for the whole stream, unfortunately, everybody. Yes. He is going for... A GM interview. Yes. So he's got a big interview coming up at noon, our time. So he won't be here for the whole stream, but he will be here for most of it. Unless I kick him off panel, you know. So everybody's saying good vibes. Yes. Oh, thank you, Lens. Lens wasn't subscribed. <laughs> That's why I never get her notifications. <laughs> you have to be subscribed to her to get her notifications. Wait, she never well, she's through D Live, right? And YouTube. Well, she always airs on D Live. Yeah. I won't get that on the no, well, yeah, sure. yeah. Very cool. Thanks, everybody. I mean, it's going to be a big step up if I can get it. Yeah. Look at Nicole's even got you dancing over there. <laughs> <laughs> it is that spring. Well, you guys probably you're all your snows melted. It just keeps snowing here. It just keeps snowing here. <laughs> All right. Hence the interview, no beer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he'll get it. He's it's only him and another person, and everybody's buying for him to get it. So yeah. Well, yeah, Scoop, you don't count. <laughs> Your state don't count. Here it just keeps snowing and snowing and snowing. <laughs> oh, is it snowing there today, Andy? Well, see. We've had snow for the past four days. Amanda, it does that. YouTube does what it wants. I, I sit there and I don't trust the bell anymore. <laughs> I haven't for a while. Yeah, I'll just keep going back and peeking to see if there's a notification. <laughs> All right. Well, today we're going to try something new. Well, not that we're trying something new. We're still going to have our stories and everything. Of course, today is Monday Musings, so you know what that means, where we discuss about spooky things, scary stories, and questioning the paranormal. Um. And, of course, if you're going through Facebook, please click the link up top there where it says chat restream. Click that link so we can be able to know who you are when you talk. Otherwise, it just says Facebook user and we have no clue who you are. <laughs> um, but if you don't want to be known, then go ahead and don't click that link. That's right. That's right. That's okay, too. <laughs> We're pretty lenient here when it comes to that. Um so on the first half of the show, we're looking at honoring and burying our loved ones, stories from the cemeteries. Then we're doing something new. We're asking if I'm going to tell a little bit about these places. And we're asking you, if you own this property, would you stay in it, rent it out, or burn it to the ground? I'm sure 90% of the people that come in this room are nuts enough to say, I'd stay in it. You're right. You're right. 
And then, of course, because we didn't get to it last week, even if we get to it this week, we're going to talk about the strange mystery of Michael teachings. Oh, thank you, Lims. Told you, no, sorry, I'm just staying all of them. Right, and I was like, "I'm for it. Let's go." <laughs> all right, and I'm knocking for. <laughs> just be, be safe. Yes, be safe. Take care. <laughs> I'll definitely be back, and I'd stay in it. <laughs> You are not nubs. <laughs> you are so not. And of course, if you're listening to the podcast portion of us, thank you so much for supporting Chaos and Shadows of the Moon. We appreciate it so much just by all you guys just sharing out, letting your friends know, say, hey, listen to these corny people talk here. <laughs> that helps us out so much when you like, subscribe, and share us out. We appreciate it. And like I said, if you, you're always welcome to my podcast people to come on over and hit the live shows and join in the chat. We'd all love to see you and meet you. All right. And as always, don't forget, as I roll the credits, get on over to DLive where I open up the chest. All right. We got you, Ducky. All righty. Definitely. So. First up, I want to say welcome, everybody. How you guys doing? I hope you guys are well. Did you have a good Easter? Thank you, Nicole, for the diamond. Thank you, Nicole. From all of, from all of the normal ones here. <laughs> Is there truly any normal ones in this chat room? Come on now. Come on now. Oh, thank you, Lens. Thank you so much. <laughs> but come on, Nicole. You know damn well that, you know, nobody's normal here. <laughs> All right, shall we start? This is your show. It's your show, too. No, I just co-hosted. Oh, my God. Lord. I mean, I was late for my own show yesterday. <laughs> that you were. That you were. I didn't know if it, when you were going to get up or what. It was that, rough. That's right, Heather. No such thing as normal. Only paranormal and semi-normal. <laughs> right? I'm not normal at all. I'm a creep. <laughs> Lens. <laughs> Nub says I'm normal. Normally loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love each and every one of you for your... Abnormalities. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is for many cultures, the funeral is the last goodbye. It's the final chance to say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done in order to honor the ones we've lost. But while the methods and purpose behind these rituals can vary drastically from culture to the next, one thing is common among the vast majority, the burial. We bury our dead. We've done it for an incredibly long time, and we've gotten very good at it. Every year, archaeologists open new tombs that date back millennia, each one teaching us something new about the cultures at that time. 
Um, and it's caused us to forget and central to each of these discoveries to bury itself. The technique, the beliefs, the rituals. But it's not just about the dead. The practice of honoring and burying our loved ones is just as much as our own feelings of loss and grief as it is about our responsibility to care for those who passed away. No place personifies the act of burial more than a local cemetery. With their green lawns and neat rows of pale stones, graveyards are neat, unique are among urban constructions that respectfully avoid by some and obsessed over by others. But what beliefs you might hold or opinions you might have about them graveyards are, they're just a special place. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Stephen King explored the allure and power of the graveyard in his novel Pet Cemetery. In the story, of course, the cemetery is a portal between our world and another. It's a place of transformation and transition and of mystery. And while we might not be digging shallow graves for our pets in hopes that they'll return to us at night, we've never lost our fascination with those places. Oh, what the fart? That's what I'm saying. Cemeteries have always been seen as the end of the journey. Whether you believe in heaven or not, the graveyard is where most of us will go when our time is up. For some, however, the story doesn't always end there. Some things, it seems, can't be buried. For a long time, burial in Europe was limited to churchyards. It made sense, with the vast majority of Europeans holding in the Christian faith, all of them wanted to be buried close to their place of worship. But politics held sway even in those quiet, humble places of burial. Throughout Europe, it was common to find cemeteries that separated Protestant and Catholic graves. There's a, there's a touching example of this near the Dutch town of Romond, where a couple was buried in the late 1800s. Her husband had been Protestant, while the wife had been of Catholic faith. Despite strict rules regarding the burial, the couple managed to cheat the system by picking graves on opposite sides of the divining wall. Their tall headstones reached above the wall and included carved hands that reached out and touched each other. That's awesome. That is beautiful. Economic status played a part in his burial as well. These wealthy enough could purchase space inside the church itself. While this was well less well off and settled for graves outside the church's walls, and even then social status determined in the yard where the person might be buried. The higher the status, the closer to the chapel, but no one wanted to find themselves in the north corner. That's where people of uncertain births, strangers from out of town, stillborn infants, they were all buried there. Regardless, churches filled up fast, as did the yards around them. As in the population of Europe swelled, space began to disappear at an alarming rate. At first, graves were simply moved closer together, like the parking lot of your local mall. Smaller spaces meant more occupants, and it was good for business, but it only worked for a while. Next, coffins were stacked one atop the next opting for the vertical approach, which meant this meant that the church yards were rising as earth 
was filled in between the growing graves, sometimes okay. high as 20 foot. Welcome back, Freaky. Welcome back, Freaky Geek. And you, what you're saying, uh, he says, be nice and religion kept his nose out of death and life for that matter. So that husband and wife, etc., can be buried together rather than having to segregate them. Do you mean buried together in a big enough coffin? Or do you mean buried together in plot by plot? Plot by plot, because that's what they were well, just here, talking about. Here we can do that. Well, now we can. But back in the day, it was strictly, you know. Oh, no, Freaky Geek. On, yeah, he's on D-Live side. Excuse me. Greyfriars Cemetery in Edinburgh, Scotland, is a horrific example of this problem. It used to be just a depression in the ground, but over time, it's become more of a hill. With more than half a million record burials, the elevation has literally risen above over 15 feet. Introducing problems that are unique to graveyards so old and full. According to reports, there's such concentration of human remains that especially on rainy days, remains that aren't sealed even in a casket have a tendency to float to the surface, bursting through a mud like white teeth. All of this left cities in need of some serious creative thinking. In some places, the solution they chose was a drastic one. In France, for example, the government actually had to step in. Churchyards had gotten so full that they would collapse outwards, spilling soil and human remains into the streets. Walls were built around them, but they rarely worked. The dead was getting out of hand, so to speak. In 1786, they removed all the bodies from Holy Innocence Cemetery in Paris and moved them to a, a series of unused stone quarries, which became known as the catacombs. It's estimated that the catacombs hold close to 6 million bodies. Take care, Scoops. Thanks for coming by. Take care, Scoops. Sometimes it wasn't a lack of space that ruined a cemetery, though, but a lack of popularity. I so want to go to the catacombs. I don't know about anybody else, but I want to go there so bad. Um, that's the fate that awaited the cemetery built on a former property of Sir William Escher in the north end, in, north end of London. Named for the small hilltop community that once existed there, Highgate Cemetery was established on the grounds of the old manor, which had been demolished and replaced with a church in 1839. At first, the cemetery was popular. Karl Marx is, or Karl Marx is buried there as relatives of Ma Charles Dickens. Okay, Lance, take it easy. Thanks for coming by, hon. Have a good stream. Take care. But when the owners lost money and fell on hard times, the graves were left to the elements. Monuments and crypts became overgrown with vegetation, and sometimes trees would sprout up right through the graves themselves. Highgate is a wonderful example of what we all imagine a haunted cemetery might look like. Filmmakers and authors have been drawn to it for decades, tapping into its arresting visual atmosphere to create works of gothic horror and fantasy. It's been, it was even the inspiration behind Neil Gaiman's beautiful novel, The Graveyard Book. But there are plenty of stories about the history of graveyards that through Europe and America, cemeteries have always been known for something darker, something less tangible that we can see above ground. Perhaps it's all those neat rows of bone white headstones or the notion that the 
hundreds of bodies that lay waiting beneath our feet. Whatever the reason, it's, the, it's in the local graveyard. More than any other place that we find rumors of otherworldly and unexplained. Inside those walls, between the pale stones and dark trees, almost everyone has heard tales of those who refuse to stay in the grave. Buried or not, sometimes the past is just too traumatic to leave. Just south of Chicago, between the curving arm of I-80 and I-294, is a graveyard known for a level of activity unusual in a place of the dead. Bachelor's Grove Cemetery isn't big. There are only 82 plots there, and many of those have never been used. But it hasn't stopped the stories. It's said that the famous gangster Al Capone once used the pond nearby as a dumping place for the bodies of those he killed. Other rumors make reference to satanic rituals and meetings that have taken place in the graveyard over the years. But there are those who swear they have seen unusual things there. Most, the most famous sighting has been called the White Lady, the ghostly image of a woman that was said to appear only during a full moon. In 1991, the Sun-Times actually featured a photo of the White Lady on the front cover taken by researchers on one of her visits. The woman appeared to be semi-transparent, sitting on a tombstone near the trees and dressed in white. And I'm sure you guys have seen that picture. We've all seen that picture, I think. <laughs> Other visitors have seen glowing orbs and apparitions and even vehicles in a farmhouse that seem to fade out of existence. The site is off limits to visitors now, but it's, renamed, it's remained a favorite haunt, no pun intended, of ghost hunters across the county, country. In 1863, now break of smallpox moved through the Civil War POW camp in Columbus, Ohio. The camp held close to 10,000 Confederate soldiers, and thousands of them died from the epidemic. As a result, Camp Chase Confederate Cemetery was formed, an unusual site so far north into Union territory. Miles away in New Madrid, Missouri, a Confederate sympathizer sent his young daughter north to avoid the destruction of war. Louisiana Briggs settled into Ohio and eventually married a Union veteran, but she apparently never lost touch with her southern roots. It was said that later in life, she would often visit the Camp Chase Cemetery, where she would place flowers on various graves there. She wore a white veil each time she went in effort to hide her face. Nevertheless, she acquired a reputation around town as the Gray Lady. Heather says it looks like there's a dog behind the, uh, the White Lady to her. Oh, could be. Um, she was alone as the Grey Lady and was known for her passion in the old burial ground. She passed away in 1950, but flowers would still appear regularly on the graves there. Visitors to Camp Chase have heard the sounds of a woman weeping quietly, while others have seen the figure of a woman in a veil. Something drew Louisiana Briggs to that location. That much is clear. And according to the stories, she never left. Across the country in Connecticut, yet another graveyard plays host to a mysterious story. 
Mary Hart was born in New Haven in 1824 and lived a very modest life there. She was a corset maker and machine stitcher by trade, working hard to support her family. On October 15, 1872, Mary fell into a death-like state from unknown causes. She was only 47, young even for the late 19th century. And hurry this, back, Freaky. Hurry back. And this tragedy rocked her family to the core. By midnight, Mary had expired, and her grieving family set about to arrange for a quick and immediate burial. There was a lot of pain, I can imagine, and simply... They just simply wanted to move on. It's said that Mary's spirit still wanders Evergreen Cemetery close to the site of her home on Winthrop Avenue. More than one story has been told about divers pulling over to pick up the hitchhiking woman, only to have her disappear. Others say Mary was a witch, although you didn't have to look far in the late 1800s to find a woman who'd been accused of something like that. According to the stories, local college students have frequently frequent, frequented, visited Mary's grave, which is said to be cursed. Anyone who visits her grave at midnight, according to the legend, will meet a horrible fate. So you know, every kid in that town has gone to that cemetery. You know. As a result, most people refer to her day today as Midnight Mary. There is no record of New Haven College students who have died after visiting Mary's gravesite, but whether or not the stories are rooted in fact, it hasn't stopped it from spreading. Mary still has one foot in our world, it seems. It's not clear who's keeping her here. South Cemetery in Portsmouth, New Hampshire is, real, is really a collection of many smaller graveyards. It's the site of the oldest burial ground in town, dating back to the 1600s, and it's a wonderful mixture of style and centuries. Together, the Auburn Cemetery, the proprietor's burial ground, Sagmore Cemetery, and Harmony Hill are all combined to showcase everything from Egyptian-style sarcophaguses to winged skulls and Victorian funerary imagery. That has to be a beautiful cemetery. I mean, really. To have all those different styles in there? That depends on if it was well taken care of over the, over the years. Right. <coughs> it says it's a peaceful place, and much of the grounds have been planted with flowering trees, creating a park-like atmosphere. But that wasn't always the case. In the 1700s, South Century served double duty as both graveyard and the site of several public executions. And he's brought up a good point. He says, with all the spirits and ghosts that are seen only at night, you got to wonder if they spent their life working the night shift, as most people are active during the day and resting at night. I think we're, we, at least the way I think, like I said, the ghosts are more seen at night because everything is calmer. There's no hustle and bustle. And you know what I mean? So we pick up on it more. They're around all 24-7, but just there's no... Oh, I get that. He's not saying that they're not active during the day. You just see, you tend to see them more at night. So he just wonders if, if the spirits themselves were actually like, you know, makeshift people. I mean, that very well could be, definitely. Wow, Nicole, that's, that's wild. 
she said in Belgium we are not allowed to choose something else than normal tombstone just a with just a picture. That's, I mean, over here, you can pretty much have anything you want. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you pay for it, it's your tombstone. Right. So all these public executions were hangings, and more than a few of them were women, and reasons were often tragic. The early 18th century was a different era from our own, and the law books were filled with rules that might have seemed barbaric or cruel to taste standard. That's right. Like in Indiana, don't have an ice cream cone in your left pocket yeah, while it, walking it, down the street. It, it's illegal to uh, drive down the highway with a gorilla in your passenger seat. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> provincial laws at the time required capital punishment for a wide assortment of crimes. Close to 600 of them, in fact, including murder, rape, abortion, bestiality, burglary, treason, and counterfeiting. Welcome back, Freaky. Welcome back, Freaky. Another capital crime, though, though, was known as concealment. If a woman found herself pregnant outside of marriage in the mid-1700s, her life was effectively over. Social stigma, loss of employment, fines, and even physical punishments were expected to follow upon of a discovery of adultery and possible resulting bastard birth. And so, to avoid this fate, it had become common for women in this situation to hide their pregnancy and then abandon the baby to die of neglect and exposure. This, this was concealment. And it was, it was the situation that women from South Hampton, New Jersey, found herself the spring of 1768 in. Ruth Blay was just 25 and split her time between teaching in the nearby towns and working as a seamstress. She was single and poor, but she did her best to hide the pregnancy for as long as she could. No one knows when she gave birth to the child. We Nicole, don't. Nicole says over there, normally suicides are not allowed to be buried on sacred ground, but luckily the priests here don't listen to the Pope on that. That's good. That's because even good. if suicide, it, it's still a death. It, it doesn't mean that you're evil. Right. But it's a, according to. The Bible, it's a sin. Yeah, and according to the Florida state laws, too, uh, suicide is punishable by three days in jail. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah. So, we don't know if she labored alone, but no hand to hold or companion to help her through it. All history remembers is the baby. But even then, there are still questions. According to Ruth, the baby had been stillborn. That didn't erase her crime of adultery, of course, or the stigma that sure followed, but it did mean that she didn't kill the child. She had been afraid, and so she buried the tiny body beneath the floorboards of a local barn, most likely the site of one of her traveling classrooms. And that, she thought, was the end of it. But what Ruth didn't know is that some of her local students had watched her. They didn't see the birth itself. They didn't feel her pain, loss, fear, and hopelessness. All they saw was a young woman placing a body into a small space between a loose board. They saw a crime, and so they reported it. What Ruth was so, soon arrested by Isaac Brown, the local constable, and was qu quickly brought to trial. A jury of 16 was formed, all men, of course, and they soon ruled that the child had died by violent birth. Ruth said, 
Ruth, they said, was a liar and a murderer. Ruth was held at the constable's home until she could be transported to jail in Portsmouth. But she was still recovering from birth, so she remained there for over a month while her body healed. By July 19th, she had formally been accused, and two weeks later, she was brought before the provincial court. Hey, Trina. Hey, Blue. She pleaded innocent, of course, but no one listened. Her final trial date was set for two months later at the end of September. I can't imagine how lonely she must have been, how hopeless she felt. Ruth didn't have a chance. I think it's safe to assume she knew that. Society wasn't kind to women in her position. When you added the dead infant, well, Ruth was pretty sure how it was going to end. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Welcome, welcome. We are talking about paranormal. Today's Monday Musings. That's what we talk about on Mondays. Um, okay. The trial began on the afternoon of September 21st, 1768, and a little over 12 hours later, a 12-man jury handed down the verdict guilty. She was, according to their instructions, to hang by her neck until dead. But not just yet. No. The royal governor of New Hampshire and a man named John Wentworth issued three consecutive reprieves postponing her execution. He said it was to give her time to prepare herself for death. But I can't help but wonder if it was really just more punishment. Probably. I mean, if you know you're going to die. Yeah. Rather than walk into the gallows before the end of September, Ruth would have waited three long months. Just before noon on December 30th, over, over a thousand people gathered at Gallows Hill and South Cemetery. It had snowed earlier that day, and now a cold, freezing rain was covering everything in a layer of ice. Sheriff Packer, the man presiding over the execution, had Ruth placed atop the back of the wagon and a rope draped over her head. Parents stood with their arms around their children, children who craned their necks to catch a glimpse of the woman about to die. There were rumors that a pardon was on its way from the governor, that Sheriff Packer was um, that Sheriff Packer was in a hurry to eat his lunch, so he rushed, he rushed the execution rather than waiting for the governor's letter to arrive. At noon, the horses pulling the, pulling the wagon were driven away from the tree and Ruth Bly fell off the back where her body swung slowly at the end of the noose. She died moments later. The same rumor said the governor's stay of execution did arrive just moments after Ruth's body stopped moving. Wouldn't that make the sheriff a murderer? But there's, there's no record of a pardon. I imagine that. Right? Instead of freedom, Ruth was given an unmarked grave about three... 300 feet north of a small pound in the middle of the cemetery. Today, visitors at the pond report anomalies in their photographs, ghostly images, orbs, and weird shapes. Some say that their camera stops working altogether there. According to local legend, a pair of glowing lights has been seen there, and some think it's Ruth and her infant child. 
between life and death, between the places most familiar to us and that vast expansion of the unknown sits the graveyard. It has represented the beginning of a journey for countless cultures across the history of mankind, from the Egyptians to the Khans to the ancient Europe to modern America. The cemetery is constant thread tying us all together. All philosophy aside, these places are born out of loss and filled with deep emotion. And so no wonder that many stories exist of the ones who refuse to stay buried. Maybe ghosts are real after all, or maybe we just wish they were, or perhaps it's both. On a final note, Midnight Mary, the New Haven corset maker who fell into a coma at the age of 47, was buried the following day on October 16, 1872. That night after the funeral was over and her extended family had traveled back to their homes, Mary's aunt had a horrible nightmare. In her dream, she saw Mary still alive in her coffin, scratching at the lining in the effort to get out. She was screaming and moaning with desperation and the image that stayed with Mary's aunt long after she awoke. So much so that she managed to commit she managed to convince both her family and the authorities to exhume Mary's grave. After the coffin was removed from the earth, the man opened it. What they found inside would haunt them for the rest of their lives. I already know it. Mary's corpse had been moved. Her hands were covered in blood and many of her fingernails were broken. The reason was clear after examining the coffin's lid. The cloth lining had been shredded. Apparently, Mary had finally awoken from her coma, and in her panic, she tried to claw her way out. Dun, dun, dun. So you think it was just possible that she wasn't dead after the hanging? She was just kind of... No, this was Mary, the first story. Not the one that was hanged, but the one that fell into a coma. Well, why would you jump back and forth like that? Because that's the way we do. That's No, that's what you do. <laughs> Freaky. Yes, please share if you have chocolates. Who's got chocolates? You ain't kidding. That is sad, and it is a terrible way to die. I couldn't imagine. I always said that was just a myth. That's why they used bells with the coffin. No, they really did, because they were afraid of something like that happening. Definitely. Then you better get better doctors. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know how many, I imagine a lot of people went into comas back then, right? I don't know. Well, even in a, in a, in a coma, you're going to breathe. But in, in back then, in a coma, did they automatically say, oh, well, they're dead? Probably. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I don't know. They're lifeless. They ain't moving. Need to get a better hangman. <laughs> That wasn't the same one, Andy. Oh, my God. Both mm -hmm. you and Eddie. See? It wasn't the one that was hanged. Hung. What is the correct? It's hanged, right? Is the correct? Who knows? Correct enunciation. <laughs> okay. Are you guys ready? If you own this property, would you stay in it, rent it, or burn it to the ground? Ready? We're first talking about Ohio State Reformatory. 
Even though it's no longer, it no longer operates as a prison, the Ohio State Reformary in Mansville, Mansfield still managed to attract attention. Even before the reformatory existed, the area was the home to Camp Bartley, a Civil War camp that trained an estimated 4,000 soldiers for battle. The Ohio State Reformatory was added with the National Register in Historic Places in 1987, and OSR's East Cell Block is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for the featuring of the world's largest freestanding steel cell block, six tiers. Even Hollywood has come calling on several occasions, filming scenes to several major motion pictures on the grounds, most notably the Shawshank Redemption and Air Force One. And those um there are those and there are those who say that the allure of the Ohio State Reformatory is so strong that some people can't bring themselves to leave, even in death. On September of 1896, the doors to the building that would become known as the Ohio State Reformatory swung open and greeted its first inmates. Yay! <laughs> the building was originally known as the Intermediate Penitentiary as it was to serve as the home to the middle-of-the-road criminals, those too old for the boys' industrial school in Lancaster and not hardened enough for the Ohio Penitentiary. Its purpose was to attempt and reform these young male prisoners before they ended up in Ohio Penn. It was this reason that Cleveland architect Levi Schofield modeled the building after an old world German castle, which featured spiritual and uplifting ar architecture. They wanted you to feel uplifted. Yeah, as you slam steel doors by me. <laughs> Since OSR was not home to many hardened criminals, the Institute did not house many of the criminals who would today be considered infamous. Some of the notables who passed through OSR include Detroit Tigers utility player Gates Brown and Cleveland Browns running back Kevin Mack. And one former resident, Henry Baker, would later gain infamy for taking part in the Great Brinks robbery of 1950. As with any correctional facility, the Ohio Reformatory... Right, Andy? has seen its share of violence. Over the years, several officers have been murdered in the line of duty, including Frank Hanger, who was beaten to death by prisoners during the 1932 escape attempt. But the harshest act of violence were often associated with the area known as the Hole, solitary confinement. Stories abound, abound of prisoners attempting, in some cases succeeding, in hanging themselves inside the cells. One allegedly even set himself on fire. In 1957, in response to the prison riot, an estimated 120 prisoners were given 30-day sentences in the hole, which was only equipped with 20 cells. This may have been the incident that gave the rise to the infamous story of the two inmates being forced to share the same isolation cell and one, only one emerging alive. Being that, can you imagine? Because I, you know, solitary confinement holes are 
like one by one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, no, they're a little bigger than that. But I know, but you know what I'm saying? You got to bend the toilet, and that's, that's pretty much all you got. Yeah. It's no small wonder that the area known as a whole is allegedly to be haunted. Over the years, footsteps and muffled voices have been heard. Excuse me. Even though there is no one else in the area. One can only attempt to imagine the pain these tortured souls must be feeling in life. They were forced to live in isolation. And not even death has brought them freedom. So the hauntings are East Wing, first floor, the toilet room, and East Showers. Lately, this area has been pretty good for experiences and evidence. Rarely do we have a night where nobody experienced at least few shadow people down there. Third floor, middle administration. This is the area that gets a lot of people. Shadow people, audible voices, footsteps, and feeling of not being alone is the norm there. The sub-basement. This area has produced some pretty wild experiences and evidences. Um, this area has even been avoided when the building was still operate in operation. <laughs> so even when it was live and well and everybody was, you know, working there, they wouldn't go in there. The chapel. This area has many skeptics less skeptical. <laughs> Lately, the ghosts have been getting rather grabby up there. The West Attic, let's just say a very well-known paranormal celeb, has had the experience up there and refused to go back in. I'm not going to say who it is. I just say that he grabbed his scarf and walked out. Admin Basement. There seems to be two different entities down there. One's nice and the other is not. How many damn basements does this building have? A lot. The cell blocks east and west. These are the areas... Bring this, wow. They put, I've seen this area bring grown men to tears. Many murders and suicides took place in this area. And then solitary confinement, the whole. This was the prison inside the prison. Many men took their own lives while housed in this area. So what do you guys think? Are you staying in it, renting it out, or burning it to the ground? I doubt you're going to get any renters. <laughs> well, I mean, if you would like, you know, made it into apartments or whatnot. <clears throat> I doubt if you get many uh, renters. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Nicole said stay. Do we get to, like, redesign it? Yeah. Okay, I'd stay. You'd stay? Heather would stay. Hey, one hell of a mansion. Right? I'd stay. Free Wi-Fi and cable? Yeah. <laughs> Just have yeah, free Wi-Fi. <laughs> Amanda's and Eddie are right on track there. <laughs> Nicole's like, okay, Heather, when do we leave? Rain said stay. Yeah, I would I would most likely stay. I wouldn't, you know. <laughs> and he said rent it out. Two thousand a month to non paranormal types and one thousand to the paranormals would fill up in no time. I don't know, that's a lot of a big building. <laughs> <laughs> 
running for big bucks well, you know, one you night can only. Do that with paranormal groups, though. Yeah. Run it out to them and let them have like a three day investigation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people do that. Obviously. So, all right. So, we're, it would be, I'll be like staying. So, freaking geek and handy. They're like, ran it out. Make us some money. Nah. <laughs> and Andy will be your maintenance guy. Well, I guess you're staying, Andy. You're not renting it. He doesn't have to live on property. <laughs> <laughs> Freaky says also no response. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The second one is the Monte Cristo homestead. Apparitions, strange orbs, poltergeist, Phantom noises are all attributed to the tragic history of this isolated house on a hill overlooking the town of Juni. Built by farm owners Christopher Crawley in 1884, the house passed to his wife, Elizabeth Crawley, on his death in 1910. Unable to get over her husband's death, Elizabeth spent the rest of her life in, as a recluse. She converted the upstairs box room into a chapel and immersed herself in, the, in herself in the Bible, allegedly leaving the house only twice before her death from a ruptured appendix. Mrs. Crawley's ghost is said to haunt her former home. The sensation of ice-cold air falling like snow reportedly indicates her presence. A chain of violent events in the house have triggered other, triggered other supernatural incidences. A maid once plummeted to her death from the upstairs balcony, and the figure of a woman in a period dress had been seen walking along the veranda to the blood-stained steps where she fell. A stable boy who burned to death in his bed at the hands of his master is thought to haunt the coach house, while the ghost of the mentally dis disabled man named Harold wanders the grounds. Kept changed to the Kept chained to the caretaker's cottage for 40 years, Harold was found curled up at the feet of his mother's dead body. He died shortly after being sent to a home for the insane. The sound of clanking chains is said to warn on his approach. These spirits reportedly joined Mrs. Crawley in keeping the halls of the property occupied. We don't have a week go by with something someone having a reaction to the house by either fainting, an asthma attack, hearing things, or seeing full-body apparitions. Lawrence Ryan, whose family owns the house and operated ghost tours there, told the project in 2015. The ever-lingering spirit of Mrs. Crawley doesn't like visitors, according to Mr. Ryan. It's nothing ever bad, and they tend to leave us alone, but they are not keen on visitors being here all the time. Everything from your dress, mannerisms, or the way you talk can influence Mrs. Crawley. She will either like you or not like you. And she is the real maiden of the house. One of the most disturbing stories from behind the mansion's front door involves Harold Steele, the son of a maid who died shortly. Okay, who died shortly after giving birth. Harold developed a mental illness after a carriage accident in Juni and the result of his uncontrolled aggressive behavior, he was chained to the back of the cottage for more than 30 years. 
after all those years, he got dread, he got dreadlocked hair and used to howl at night, Mr. Ryan said. Locals in Junie thought there was a monster changed up in the house, chained up in the house, and the kids would go and search for it. Harold would growl and hiss like them or at them like animal. People still hear those sounds at night. Mr. Ryan said those those who opt to stay the night in the servants' quarters following a candlelit ghost tour either get the best sleep of their life or no sleep at all. Some people don't make it through the night and drive into town and stay there. They wake up seeing children or spirits of the servants, he said. Lawrence's parents, Oliver Ryan and her late husband, Reg, purchased the property in 1963 and on their first experience with a home was when the entire house was lit despite not having electricity. That's wild. Can you imagine pulling up knowing that you don't have electricity there, but all the lights are lit? <laughs> That'd be like having no plumbing, but yet the sinks are running. Right? It's always felt like someone is watching us, Lawrence told the project of growing up in the house. I've had my a hand on my shoulder, Oliver Ryan added. I've had my name called when I've been there by myself. It's nothing to hear footsteps in the balcony and go out and there's no one there. So what are you guys doing? Are you burning it to the ground, running it out, or staying there? What do you say, honey? I don't know. <laughs> hey, Jack. Hey, Jack. What's up? Nicole's that, staying. Heather's staying. That might be one I, I'd attempt to stay in. Oh, what are you sorry for? <laughs> it might accidentally burn to the ground. I might pull asleep with cigarettes. <laughs> Andy said, if it's near the stay, the sea, I'll stay there. If not, I will run it out. Rain says stay. No reason to be sorry, Jack. Melanie's, you're out. I, I, does that mean you ain't staying there? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, you know, it's definitely a hard one. Hello, Freaky Geek. <laughs> <laughs> they haunt me at home. No, so she's not staying She's there. not. She's like, I'm done. She can burn that to the ground. She ain't even <laughs> going to try to rent that. Amanda's like, throw a party and bring lots to drink. And Melly's like, not on your life. <laughs> he says, he says, miss the story, but nope, not staying. <laughs> <I'm> chicken. <laughs> there's, let's just say, Freaky Geek, that there's a lot of hauntings that go on there. A lot of different things. I don't walk down dark alley either. I can understand that, definitely. Well, dark alley's giving me the willies anyway, because there's live people down there that can jump you. Yeah, living people. All right, and the, I believe this is the last one, yes. The last one is the place 
is the Hotel Adolphus in Dallas, Texas. The history. Named after Adolphus Bush, founder of the Anheuser-Busch Company, the Adolphus Hotel opened its doors in 1912. This Barack-style luxury hotel has hosted more than a few notable guests, including, including Warren G. Harding, George H.W. Bush, Elizabeth II, and Prince Philip. However, it seems not all the house guests have checked out. The hauntings. The most famous spirit in the Hotel Adolphus is a lady in white, a ghost thought to belong to a young woman left in the altar during the Depression era. Legend has it that the jilted bride was so upset by her fiancé's change of heart that she hung herself in the hotel's grand ballroom on the 19th floor. Now, the bride that never was roams the halls of the Adolphus, sobbing and trailing after guests. In another creepy tale, a rich man's mistress reportedly fell to her death in a secret passageway and now haunts the historic hotel. Uh, Heather says there's a place in Kingston that uh, in the basement, lights are on, on at times. When you go by, the, uh, the security guard told me and my dad, but in order to turn these lights on and get to it, it's all boarded up. That's messed up. She says it's a, a haunted asylum. That's crazy. <laughs> Freaky Geek Hotel, California. No, Hotel Texas. I'm checked out. <laughs> Freaky not checking in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Says, however, the bereaved woman aren't the aren't the only ghosts roaming the 109-year-old hotel. Guests regularly phone the front desk to report heavy footsteps in the hall or muffled conversation in empty rooms. However, no one is ever around when security arrives to investigate. Big, big band music also blares on the 19th floor through the hotel has long since sealed off its grand ballroom. So the place is sealed off, but yeah, big band music's coming from there. <laughs> Adolphus employees have reported strange activity within the hotel. Maids, for instance, feel a tap on their shoulder when no one's around. Bartenders complain of glasses that move in the middle of the night. One, on one occasion, a window burst open without warning, involving workers in an icy chill. Many staff members, particularly those in the graveyard shift, feel as that an unseen entity watches their every move. According to local records, at least 13 people have perished in the hotel, dying of everything from accidental falls to gruesome elevator rides. Ew, I don't even want to know. So there's, I guess there's several videos on YouTube showing the elevator doors on the 19th floor opening and closing for no apparent reason. The courtesy phone in the hall also rings, though no one is ever on the other line when a bewildered guest, bewildered guest pick it up. Is it the lady in white, another spirit at the Adolphus Hotel, or something more down to earth? I mean, just because nothing's there on the other end doesn't mean ain't somebody sitting there, you know? Right. So what are you guys doing? Are you staying, running it out, or burning I, I, it? I'd stay in that one. You'd stay in that one? Yeah. Excuse me, what are you guys? 
Are you guys staying in it? Nicole's staying. Freaky says, yeah, it needs boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Heather's staying. <laughs> it would definitely, I, I would stay. I would stay and check it out. No, staying definitely, Rain says. Andy says, got no use for a hotel, so we'll sell it. You're going to sell it? <laughs> I don't think Free is going to get anywhere near that lift. <laughs> um, hold on a minute. It is Dallas in Dallas, Texas. Haha, ha. you asked the question before I closed it out. <laughs> Because, because usually I'll close out the story and then oh, everybody will ask. <laughs> I don't go looking for trouble, but I'm not afraid of it. That's the same same with us. <laughs> right, Freaky Geek. If I know absolutely nothing about a place's history, I might visit. But if, it, if I get feelings that I don't like it, I won't stay. Way too far from the sea. I don't know. Dallas is. Well, I don't know where. Dallas is quite a ways away from water. Is it? Tricky says Nicole, more like running away, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no lift boy. Ain't no lift boy. It's running away, boy. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's all of them for today. But definitely, you know, I mean, I I would sit there and say that I would stay. But who knows what'll happen? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, it's funny. How you, you, you there's no way you're going to know what's going to happen. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, if I'm I sit there and say I'll stay, I might not stay after shit starts going south. <laughs> Chicken. That's crazy, though. They used to, like, that boy, the howling wolf, that guy. That they, oh, my God, Andy. Had chained up for 30 years. That's crazy. And he says, although I did hear about a particularly friendly Debbie uh, who was in Texas for a while. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, you, Andy. I swear to God. I bet. If I'm not mistaken, Andy, she was from Dallas. And for you, but those change won't excite me. <laughs> I'm afraid to ask what Melanie is referring to as been there. I don't that. think she was talking about what you guys were talking about. All right, last but not least, and like today, today's going to be a short, I mean, well, this is a fairly, you know, never, a, you're right, Rain, there is never a dull moment with Andy. Never. You never know what's going to come out of this keyboard. Well. <laughs> 
So the next thing. <laughs> no, he says no. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> no hotel. <laughs> I wasn't implying anything. I just wasn't sure what you were referring to. <laughs> It's like three different things being talked about right at that moment. So right, right. So I don't know if you guys have heard about Michael's teachings. Um, I've heard about it. I never really studied into it, but I found it interesting. <laughs> you make the coffee, Nicole. I'll wash my mouth in it. <laughs> and Nicole's like, my Andy can be dull. He sleeps sometimes. So, one of the one area of the paranormal and unexplained that has remained popular and firmly entrenched within the field is that of spirit channeling. It involves acting as sort of a conduit for the forces beyond our understanding, bringing their messages from beyond the veil of reality as we know it through various methods, such as going into trances to allow them to speak through us, using automatic writings. In a way, they write with our hand or through our hand, Ouija boards and others. Channeling has allowed people to get into contact with ghosts, spirits, demons, and others. But there's one very particular, peculiar case being a group of people who managed to establish communications with a mysterious entity known only as Michael. It started with an Ouija board session back in August of 1973. Sally Joe Sarah Chambers was living in Oakland in the San Francisco Bay Area, California, with her husband, Richard Chambers. The two of them involved in studying the teachings of the Russian philosopher, mystic, and spiritual teacher George this guy, I'll put it in chat because I don't know. I can't say that name. George Ivanovich Gurdjieff. There you go. You guys go ahead and sound it out. <laughs> These teachings were Ivanovich? most. Gurdjieff. I have no goddamn idea. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> These teaching, Andy will sound it out. I got a middle name. Yeah, George the Russian. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> good way to sound it out. That's a good way to sound it out, yes. These teachings were mostly based around the idea that most humans are wandering through life in sort of a waking sleep never achieving full consciousness or realizing their full potential until they woke up using various practices. George the Russian called the fourth way. Freaky says, oh, I thought shadows was hacked for a moment. <laughs> yeah, we, that's, yeah, Nicole, she's close to Russia. She sounded out. I, it doesn't mean she sounded it out the right way. Gurdjieff. I like, I want to stick with George the Russian. It's, it's easy to understand. There you go. So Sarah and Richard were avid followers of these New Age teachings 
and in our quest to learn more and find better way through which to reach this promised enlightenment. In the early 70s, they began holding a study group devoted to more advanced studies in their home with a small group of friends. It was at one of these meetings that they got the idea to try the Ouija board, which would lead them to allegedly coming into contact with an erythral intelligence that would change their lives and many and those of many others. Don't fall off, Amanda. <laughs> On August 12th, 1973, thank you, Heather, for the little Um, They've had their first contact session, or their first session, and at some point they were supposedly contacted by an entity calling itself simply Michael. Excuse me. Hurry back again, Freaky. He, it, what, he, it, whatever you want to call it, claimed that he was not a ghost or a spirit, nor was it an angel or God, but rather a fragment or piece of large, larger supreme higher intelligence on another plane of existence. Which, what's, what are we learning about today? String theory and, and fragmented pieces were all fragments of different... Don't look at me like I'm stupid. <laughs> when, when were we learning about that today? From Bush, not today. That's what you did. This is what we've been learning today. That's why I was like, did I miss a whole fucking segment? <laughs> Andy thought he had a fucking time slip moment. I'm like, Jesus, fuck, I missed the whole segment. <laughs> no, not today. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, Elizabeth. I was like, what the, what the fuck is she talking about? <laughs> right? Michael seemed to know many things at first, answering simple questions. Always flatly and without passion, almost like a robot. But he was proved to know even secret or personal details, and the information he gained became deeper and more philosophical. Philosophical? <laughs> yes. My mom, I knew as soon as I tried to say the word that it was just not going to happen. Or it was not going to happen right, anyway. <laughs> And so the group began their regular sessions with Michael, under, uncovering more on what he claimed to be the ultimate truth of reality and the human soul. One of the main points Michael frequently talked on was the process of reincarnation. According to him, a human soul enters the physical plane as many times as it is necessary to experience all aspects of life each time becoming wiser and getting closer to transcendence. The consciousness evolves through each timeline. When the time comes, the soul then exits this ongoing cycle of birth and rebirth to join a collection of souls that form the one entity, of which one soul is just a fragment of a collection of around a thousand other souls that form a collective, single, integrated, holy whole and a higher intelligence greater than its parts. Each individual soul like cells in a greater organism. Michael himself claimed to be a fragmented part of one of these entities and he would explain of their nature and mission. The name we call we are called is Michael. That is a convenience and not the truth. Only a small fragment of this entity had that name. 
We are integrated fragments of a larger entity, and we come to you from the casual plane, a non-physical plane of pure intelligence and thought. We have been artists, bankers, barters, barristers, comedians, grave diggers, horsemen, a whole bunch of things. And witness to the most unspeakable acts of cruelty and the most loving acts of kindness and devotion. We offer a way to human understanding based on our own experience. First as humans ourselves in both tranquil and troubled times and now in the reintegrated fragments of the casual body no longer alive as you know it but still with keen awareness of what being human entails. We have communicated this way for approximately 100 years. Our purpose is to teach some understanding of evolution on the physical plane so that a student can reach some insight into human behavior, which will enable him to stop brooding over impersonal relationships or the lack thereof and concentrate on personal life plans. It's kind of what we're talking about with like um, Bashar and everything like that. Okay. What he translates. It's kind of the same message I'm getting. All right. I, I get what you're saying. Now. Right. Indeed. Michael typically referred to himself as we or us as a plural. And it's a, now mind you, this is they're getting all this from the Ouija board. And it was supposedly our ultimate form, our human lives, merely a sort of chrysalis or larval stage, so to speak, inching towards our ultimate true form. As the sessions continued, the knowledge Michael gave expanded all the transcribed by the group's secretary, Alice Hanna. This information, which they called the Michael teachings, encompassed a wide variety of spiritual and historic knowledge. Among these is the continual force and unconditional love, seen as the key to deeper self-awareness, as well as experiencing as much as we can in one lifetime and living without regrets that will follow one to the next <coughs> iteration. <laughs> right? Hey, Elizabeth. Did I say hi to Elizabeth? Nope. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> I'm sorry. As the group expanded, these teachings spread out to other places, with others starting their own Michael study groups. While at the same time, more people began to claim that Michael was channeling knowledge through them as well. At one point, there was an estimated dozens of Michael channels, possibly more. The movement became even bigger still when the transcripts of the original Michael sessions were published in a book in 1979 by the author Chelsea Quinn Yarbo, Yarbo, Yarbro, sorry, who was given the transcripts by Sarah to write the book Messages from Michael, which would spawn a series of three additional books after that. Right back, Andy. These books propelled the Michael teachings to the mainstream consciousness sparked the formation of what even more groups devote to the New Age philosophy. And it brought tons of people claiming to be able to channel Michael out of the woodwork. And the books were even translated to other languages. 
It was a phenomenon raising awareness of the practicing channeling and by far one of the best known examples of channeling during the 1970s and early 80s. Interestingly, even as what she started to become so popular, Sarah Chambers herself began to drift off to other interests, stopping her own groups to pursue other things. She would say this, our meeting in the beginning, our meetings in the beginning, and I'm sure Alice and Dick feel this, this way too, were fun and they were like a big family gathering. Quite often there were 18 to 20 people staying here at the house on the weekends for mega sessions. No money ever exchanged hands since Michael always said the teachings would pay for itself. Then in 1976, the atmosphere changed. I lost interest, that's all. And I went on to other things. I missed the camaraderie very much. There, were, there was a tightness to the group that made it stick together. We came to meetings, whether they, they were here or at Alice's or Dick's, with potluck dishes and stayed until early morning. Those sessions went on for many hours without breaks for dinner and sometimes breakfast. She would later, in later years, sporadically join Michael conferences, but never fully active within her group again. Yet at the same time, the whole Michael phenomenon had already taken a life of its own, with others taking up the regions and guiding the movement, even without her involvement. Sarah Chambers had created something that resonated with people, helping to endure all the way up to this day. The Michael teachings have never really stopped. Um, at present, there can be, you can find many study groups all over the world still today, as well as plenty of people claiming to be able to channel the same entity. And their literature has expanded into three more volumes in a series called Michael Speaks, the Legacy of Sarah Chambers, published by the Center for Michael Teachings. It all remains one of the longest running and most recurring channeling phenomenon known, inspiring endless discussion, debate, and reflection. And we are left to wonder what it's all about. What is Michael? Is he even real in the sense of at all? Or is it just a new age mumbo jumbo and cultish fraud and trickery? Plenty of people seem to believe that there's something to it and the mystery remains. So definitely interesting. It's interesting that back then we're hearing the same thing over and over. Because if I, if I remember right, like these teachings came, like there was the same type of teachings off the Emerald Tablets. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's what I look for. When I'm looking at something for something that I'm, I'm interested in and researching, I want to see how far back it goes. And you know what I mean? Welcome back, Andy. Is that not what the movie was based on? What movie? Emma, if there was a movie, I never seen it. So I'm sure it was, though. Hearing the same thing over and over sounds like echoes from the past. Well, it just, it just means that people were listening and, and paying attention. <laughs> and they just kept teaching the same thing. Welcome back, Andy. Yeah, that's, you know, that's seriously, that's what I I look for. I want to see how far, like, if, does this start in the 80s? If it started in the 80s, eh. Could it be an imprint? I don't know. 
by getting pruned into the stitches are. Right. I think that's believe. I believe that's what she mean, what Heather means. I don't know because I mean I really really when when I read about stuff like that in the not the Michael teachings because obviously I've never really I although that is a book that I might want to get um other types of not religious it's not religious at all but um other types of um groups and stuff like that that have talked about stuff like that I am very interested in yeah exactly because it's being said over and over again even in in different ways you know what I mean it's still the same thing but it's said in different ways Well, not this theory with the Michael teachings, but the, yeah, like, I think that's what, um, Legion 2010. Yeah, I've never seen that, Amanda, to be honest with you. Never even heard of it. But yeah, I think that's what Heather was referring to when, as an imprint. But I mean... You've heard me, we've talked about it before, the fragments, their source, and then there's fragments right. into different parallels. And the it goes along with the vibration teachings and the, the, which I didn't know that. That's why I love doing these articles with you guys, because I didn't know that's what the Michael teachings was about. I just thought it was a thing coming through the Ouija board. I didn't know it was, you know what I mean? Nicole and Heather saying Legion was a good movie. I will definitely check it out. Yeah, I definitely want to check that out. You're the best round. You guys are the best. Truly, truly. But yeah, so it's pretty cool to, to hear something else back in when they say nineteen seventy-three it started. Chocolate And look, I didn't even have to I would I wish that one was a little bit louder. Yeah, that one just kind of well, yeah. Oh, what the fart? Right? That was, that was like at a perfect level. And I didn't even have to slap Andy today. Well, you could have, but you just weren't paying attention. And a couple of oh, times. yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Gotta give the boy points. <laughs> Gotta give that boy points. You don't say that boy. I know, but I, I say that boy. <laughs> I can say that boy. So, man. <laughs> this is how rumors start. Words get changed. You can always slap. All right. Well, you know. Maybe if I get there. 
I know, right? And he's like, you didn't mean to slap me today? Something's going seriously wrong here, peeps. Yeah, it could be like them cookies. <laughs> That's wrong. That's so wrong on so many different levels. Yeah, it's cookies. But I think they're actually uh, marshmallow-covered with a cookie uh, crisp uh, on the bottom of it all. <laughs> Poor Nicole. And he's like, ha, oh, I didn't even have to start it. <laughs> Everybody else did it. <laughs> oh, there we go. I lined him up and went, Shh. <laughs> Gotta get a man in there too. The dog's listening. Fluky! <laughs> it was funny yesterday before my show, but Fluky heard my voice and all of a sudden come running over paying attention. She's like, oh, you recognize his voice, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's all Andy's fault. <laughs> oh, man, I was trying to be good, too. Well, don't tell me not to say it. <laughs> you guys are... <laughs> oh, I guess we're playing Hangman. we got to figure out what Nicole wrote today. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine what she wrote in there. <laughs> well, let's see what it That was similar for what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you guys. So a short show today with Eddie going to do his... Don't even blame I me. I am going to blame you. I can blame you. Nice try. It has nothing to do with me. Whatever. Whatever. She just wasn't fully prepared for the show today, that's all. Whatever. I have a whole plethora of things. Do I get on the show, really? Mars and tempta Temptations? <laughs> Good luck, Eddie. He's going to need it when I kick his ass. Yeah. She can't get her fucking foot that high. I ain't worried about it. <laughs> okay, it's Andy and Nutty's fault. <laughs> she says that when my WhatsApp rings, my dog already gets crazy because she knows it's Andy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Andy. <laughs> I didn't want him Thank to feel... Thank you, Heather. I didn't want him to feel locked out. <laughs> Hey, that's not very nice. I can't walk in there with red cheeks. <laughs> All right, guys. With that being said. Good luck with my thing. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let me go ahead and pull up the credits. It's a job interview uh, for a better spot inside the uh, store. There they go. And on that, I want to say, ladies, hugs, guys, fist bumps. Stay safe, stay strong. We'll get through this. See y'all tomorrow. All right, guys. I pushed the button. So 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Tomorrow's show is, as you know, we are talking Transformation Tuesdays. Um, we're going to be talking about how to overcome self-doubt to achieve your goals. 
We will. We will be talking about that. What do you mean no trust for you? Oh, there it is. All right. We good? Yeah, she said she got it now. Okay. All right. Heather got 79.4. Nicole got 46.0. Melanie got 33.5. Amanda got 26.8. And Blue got 22.6. Thank you, Melanie. I'll give it my best. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, everybody, for being here. I hope you enjoyed the stories. I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Of course, you know that we love you and appreciate each and every one of you. We're so thankful that you guys came on and hang, hung with us. See, hang hung, hung with us for the show. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Um, be safe. You're the best. You're the best. You guys are the best. Take care. Be safe. And remember, find something today that makes you smile with your eyes. We love you guys.